0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now, your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Saul Marquez here. And today I have the privilege of having Dr. Sharat Kusuma, he's an orthopedic surgeon board-certified and fellowship-trained orthopedics in hip and knee. Now, I will say this. He's got an extensive level of experience. And today, Sharat comes to us to express his thoughts and his opinions in healthcare. With, with several decades of experience in the space, he's going to share a lot of great insights. And I'm excited to have that conversation with him. Uh, prior to doing what he does now, he was a senior engagement manager at McKinsey & Company the healthcare provider, provider payer, pharma, and medtech space. Over his career, he had the opportunity to work deeply in nearly all areas of healthcare: payers, providers, pharma, medtech vendors, and academia. So, the conversation we're going to have today is going to be fun. It's going to be dynamic, and it's going to be with uh, an individual that's had a breadth of experience that you guys are going to enjoy. So, uh, Sherat, with that intro, I want to just welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you. I
1: appreciate the opportunity uh, to join. And uh, yeah, I commend you on you know, establishing this
0: podcast. It's a very cool topic to, be, uh, to talk about. Hey, thank you, Sherrod. Now, did I miss anything in your intro that you would add or anything in general that you want to add to, to, uh, to how I opened about you? I mean, I mean, the only thing I would
1: share uh, that I that sort of it's, it's been funny in my in my, uh, in my uh, short thus far business career of only four years now after having left clinical practice, the 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 value of sort of having spent you know six or seven years uh, after completing training is a what we you know, call an attending surgeon or an attending physician sort of in the foxhole right uh, on the front lines, that experience is so invaluable uh, in terms of your at least in my opinion. In terms of one's ability to conceptualize and sort of deliver a, a real product uh, that, that's useful, so I, 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 that experience was also very formative and, and, and critical, you know, for me. So uh, I would I would just add that, you know, the clinical experience was, was a huge part of my career and identity, and, and also uh, success in business as well. So,
0: no, really, great call out, uh, Sharad Glad you brought that up, and for sure, you know a lot of a lot of decisions, a lot of products are being innovated in healthcare in a vacuum, and, and and it shouldn't be that way. So, so before we dive into the to the nuts and bolts here, what got you into healthcare to begin with?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I have a pretty traditional story. You know, I, I'm Indian, of course, as you know, uh, first generation Indians. A uh, lot of I think the statistic is, you know, Indians are about less than 1% of the America's population, but are about 25% of physicians, right? So we're 25 times yep. more. Uh, and so I, you know, I came from a family. My father's a surgeon. My brother's a surgeon. My cousin's a surgeon. So, you know, it's sort of in my blood, I suppose, mm-hmm. into going to healthcare. And I, I will tell stories of, you know, as a child admiring my dad, you know, getting up on weekends on Saturday morning to go make rounds. And, you know, I loved sitting and hearing him. Take phone calls and you know hearing words like hemoglobin. I didn't know what that meant when I was seven <laughs> years old, but I thought it was cool that these yeah. people were calling my dad, and so I was always that is yeah, cool. fascinated. And then uh, so yeah, and then of course the last story I'll tell is very it was very formative for me. My dad made me work as an orderly in the operating room when I was no in high school in the summer. And so I was basically mopping, you know, bloody floors and oh, wow. you know, picking up dirty. And, and, and that was a, an experience that really, uh, I just loved surgery. I thought it was the coolest thing to be able to, you know, manipulate the body in a short time and make a big, um, so yeah, it was an easy decision for me and I, I loved my surgical career it was an amazing,
0: amazing part of my life sure It's super cool um that your dad did that and um despite the mopping of blood and everything like that you still decided to stick with it so that's I that's, did that that's a testament to to what what you know drives you and 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 that line that uh that's been in your family and so uh, what would you say today, Sherat? Uh, you, you know, you've had the opportunity to look at things as a clinician, as a surgeon, as as a consultant, and as a tech, uh, you know, side person. Now, now, what would you say as a hot topic that needs to be on every health leader's agenda? And how would you approach it?
1: Hmm. So, a pretty open ended question, I suppose. So, you're saying, sort of, what are just
0: general hot topics, whether tech or not? I just want to make sure I understand the question. Sure. For example, today, if, let's just say, for example, healthcare leaders in the provider space, okay, right. they're running their system. What what do they need to be thinking about? What's the number one thing that you would sure. say to a hospital CEO, sure, sure. this is important?
1: That's bit, that's very helpful. And so some of my answer will be a little bit sort of colored by my specialty as an orthopedic surgeon, but I would say, uh, I'll say two things, right? And and, and the first one's going to be sort of the shift to outpatient Surgery. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but let me. I'll get a little more in the details of sort of what's driving that and how that how that could be a big trend that could go unnoticed by, as you say, sort of the standard you know hospital system administrators and and, and uh, leaders. Number one, and then number two, I think improving. You know, again in in the tech industry, they have one of these terms: UI, UX. You know, user interface, user experience. I think that UX component, and I mean that in sort of all of its manifestations. Are the two things. So I guess I can start with the first. If you look at specialties, especially such as orthopedics, people know that for the last 20 years we've been doing things like arthroscopy and you know putting ligaments back in place and doing shoulder arthroscopy. You know, as an outpatient for for many many years. Now, right. That there's nothing, you know, nothing new about that. They right. have been done in ambulatory surgery centers for, for many many years. However if you told uh, you know one of the leading hip and knee surgeons from 20 years ago that in 2018 we would be doing you know 3 to 4% and it depends on who you ask on the numbers but it's a number that's meaningful it's not zero it's not 50 but you know it's certainly a no- measurable number we'd be doing you know 3 to 4% of total joints in this country in an in a in a building that is not in a hospital that's separate from a hospital and they, they would think you're absolutely crazy and yeah you know the, the, because you know 20 years ago, people spent seven days in the hospital after a standard knee replacement. And, you know, what we've learned over the last, you know, let's just say 10 to 12 years or so is that it's actually entirely safe in a lot of the population to do a knee replacement in an ASC and have somebody home for dinner. And, you know, of course, there are some clinical benefits, uh, and we can talk about those, but let's not forget, you know, physicians, and I'll be very transparent and blunt in this interview, that's okay. I mean, just like all Absolutely. other, and there's no need to apologize for this, physicians have financial incentives and motives and want to be successful financially, just like anyone else, and any lawyers or investment bankers or, you know, med device people. So... The economics of the ASC total joints, I'm glad to go in as much detail as you want, are also driving physicians to move away from a hospital where they have very little control over the workflow and the economics into an ASC where they have almost complete control in many situations. So that's trend number one that I think if I was a CEO of whatever, Intermountain Health or Partners Healthcare, you know, whatever, that I would, I would consider number one. The second thing on the UX and the UI for the patients and the doctors... Here's what I mean by that. Taking knee replacements as an example, right? Or taking, you know, plastic surgery, elective, you know, let's say, you know, uh, cosmetic surgery as an example. The way we practice medicine today is people come in for follow-up visits uh, after the surgery simply by convention, right? I mean, if you'll say, you know, Saul, you're a healthy, healthy young man and, you know, heaven forbid, you need a hip replacement at your young age, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And let's say you live a couple of hours away from my office there's no clinical need for me to have you come into my office at day at day 14 after surgery simply because you had surgery i mean i could certainly digitize that entire experience using a wearable and a camera and really improve and so when i say ui and ux i mean there are multiple you know roads we could go but, but i would say that there's a lot of operational efficiency to be had and in terms of just pure patient satisfaction and and what i find is that um and back to the whole clinical thing, and I don't mean to sound paternalistic or anything when I say this, but I think you have to have a pretty rich clinical experience to know exactly what product you build, how it would work in order to create value in that UI, UX. And you know, there's just no way you can know that unless, you, unless you've lived it. And so that's where I think the two big sources of value are you know, in surgical care, which is a big uh, component of expense for us, right, in, in 20, uh,
0: 2018, 2019. So those are my two sort of insights on that. I think very, very insightful, uh, Sherrod. So thanks for for sharing that. And yeah, you know, when we when we think about the user experience, user interface, and in healthcare, there's definitely a lot of opportunity to, to think through process, to think through location, or should I or should I not go? recently had a, had a, uh, guy from, uh, a firm that, uh, they said they looked at the 30 day, uh, readmit problem. And they said, rather than focus on the back 30 days, why don't we focus on the first 30 days before the, the surgery? And, sure. and that's and, another, I, di- I didn't
1: allude to that, but yeah, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, but that's a no, perfect insight. But... We can talk more about that for sure. But I'd love to hear the rest of your story though. Uh,
0: yeah, no, no. Bottom line is this: is like is is going back to your point. I just mentioned that one to illustrate this this interface, this experience needs to be examined deeper. Uh, and right. It, yeah. So anyway, just to just to kind of uh, carry on with your example uh, that 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 one guest that I had on uh, David Brown from Vox. But yeah, you know, oh, so, sure, sure. Yeah, taking a look at these things, Sherrod, You know, just curious about what you've seen. Maybe there's an example you want to talk about. Uh, how it can can these leaders make things better? Uh, maybe you talk about something that you've done.
1: Yeah, so let me share with you. I mean, I'll give you sort of a use case, and I think it'll immediately resonate with. You. So again, I'll talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, which you know is now ubiquitous. You know, hip and knee replacement is something you know we do about a million point one point two million procedures in America a year. So everybody knows ten people, right? Their aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, maybe even their friends who've had this procedure. Let's talk a little bit about how that works today. And I'll just say, even myself as a doctor, I've delivered this crappy user experience to my own patients and i have always wanted to make it better and now now you know that's so why I, I hopefully i can have some credibility that you know i've actually so let, let's just kind of here's how it goes right sure so you know you're saul marquez young healthy man you you had a childhood injury in your hip and you come into my office and you say hey dr kasuma you know i want to i've had a lot of hip pain uh, i am been considering having a hip replacement well, if you have a pretty standard experience today in terms of, let's say you show up at the office of a very busy hip replacement or hip knee replacement surgeon, you're going to walk in the office and my, my waiting room will be full of you know, 20, 30 people. And I will probably, on average, if you look at the numbers, will have five minutes to spend with you face-to-face, given sort of how my workflow and my day is, to actually talk to you, maybe 10, right, depending on yeah. how efficient I am, to make, the, to make this huge decision of whether or not you're going to have a hip replacement, which is a big decision, right? I mean, it's a huge thing to consider. Now, of course, you've been thinking about it as the patient yourself, but I, the doctor, don't have, you know, years of data about your mobility, you know, prior to you coming to my office. I just have your history that you give me over five. Do you understand? Does that, does that kind of make sense? What I'm, Absolutely. what I'm sharing. And so, and then, so we make this decision and then, okay, we're going to schedule a surgery saw for 45 days from now. Well, during that 45 days, the current UI UX is that you have very little contact with my office on a day-to-day basis. You know, and, and if you haven't been through this, the listeners who've had friends or family who've been through something like a hip or knee replacement, this will immediately resonate, but I'll try to make it real for them for others who don't have that experience. And that 45 days from, you know, say today is December 17th. I'm going to do your surgery on whatever, January 23rd, right? Mm-hmm. In those days, I don't have a lot of engagement with you as a, as a, as a patient. And that, that's tragic because this is an elective non-emergency surgery, right? You don't, it's yes. not, you know, you're not going to the OR in five minutes. We've got all that time that we could use tech to, you know, and I'll be more specific momentarily to educate you, to get you comfortable, to measure, you know, measure all kinds of things and our, in our sort of traditional system, we've essentially squandered that entire opportunity by simply doing a few steps and scheduling you for surgery, and and it's just unfortunate. And so part of my passion, some of the work we've done, is sort of try to use that time both before you see me in the office, you know, that hopefully get a couple of years of data before I see you, and then use that time in the 45 days before surgery to really make a better informed decision about, number one, should you have the surgery at all? And number two, if you're going to have it, what can we do to sort of measure and optimize your pre-op status, as you alluded to earlier? To, to have you have a better outcome afterwards, right? And I'm glad to go into specifics. You know, depending on how specific you want to get, but that's some of the area where the UI UX can really improve. And there's a there, again, there's just a lot of room for improvement there, right? You want me to get more specific on some
0: some things, or do you want to ask some questions? No, you know what? I think I think that's really good, and and as we as we think through some of these things, it'd be interesting to to, to understand. So, have you have you run any process improvement around this, and 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 what results have you seen? If you have,
1: yeah. So, so let me just make again give you a real tangible example, right? Yeah. A part of the reason that people's recovery, let's just say, from a hip or knee replacement, is considered by most people to be "quote unquote" difficult, is really because they've had no sort of Education or prep, or they, they've had some, but not sufficient prep or education prior to the procedure. So once the procedure is done, they sort of find themselves with all these unknowns. Right about, you know, how much is it supposed to hurt? How much am I supposed to walk on? You know, today, today is my third day after surgery. I just got home. What can I do this morning? You know, after I've had breakfast, can I walk ten feet? Can I walk? Yeah. You know, in real time, patients have so many questions that we have. So let me give you an example. You can imagine a world, and this is some of the work that we've worked on, and this has all been sort of, you know, uh, shared publicly as well. You know, the the Apple Watch has all these amazing functions where it can really pull, you know, sort of collect a lot of biometric, you know, what we'll call digital biometric data on patients, right? So for example, again, let's go back to the example of Saul Marquez is in my office. You're a healthy guy in your mid-30s, you know, who needs a hip replacement. What I can do, let's imagine a universe where you've been wearing something like an Apple Watch for the last two years. And I could immediately pull up your activity data and say, "Hey, you know Mr. Marquez, I can see your activity trend over the last two years. It shows that you' you, you know you've declined your number of daily steps on average by five percent per month over the last two years. We've learned, and this is obviously I'm guessing due to your hip pain, and we've also noticed that you don't climb stairs as much as you used to two years ago. Uh, and we've also noticed by the way that you know when you are climbing stairs, your heart rate is higher than it used to be. So these are little data points that let me know that you are going to do well with a hip replacement because I can tell from your activity mm-hmm. that you're pretty restricted, right? And yep. then, so that's kind of, that, so that imagine that paradigm versus what I described to you earlier where you walk in my office and I have a five-minute history and I look at an x-ray and say, hey, Saul, let's do your hip. You know, that, that's a whole yeah. different decision making, right? Okay, so then imagine in the 45 days before the surgery, leading up to the surgery, instead of you doing a bunch of paperwork and, you know, filling out forms and all that, we use a device like the Apple Watch to sort of uh, measure your activity. And also, maybe we could digitize all the physical therapy that you're going to do after surgery so that we could actually have the, the watch and the phone sort of teach you what it's going to do, uh, what you're going to do after surgery by, by giving you sort of reminders and engagement, and things like that. Imagine a world where you're spending that 45 days with an activity tracker that's helping you learn how to do the physical therapy you will do after your surgery. Right. I mean, that, that's a, that's a new paradigm where we're not wasting all that time. And I'm actually using those 45 days to teach you everything you need to know through the, you know, through the activity tracker, plus the, you know, the content that we can, video content or, or simulation content we can display on the phone. That's a very different paradigm than we've had, you know, in the past. And then of course, then after your surgery, you're now very comfortable with your physical, you've learned all your therapy exercises because you've been, you know, you've been doing them every day for the 45 days leading up to the surgery. And we've also been tracking your activity. Now we can say, "Hey, Mr. Marquez, look, it's ten days since your surgery. You already improved your step count and your stair count by fifty percent over what you were doing a year ago." And now I can give you data that helps you understand how how much better you're doing. And, and, and you know, in our current workflow, that's not at
0: all what we do, right? Yeah. So uh, that, that, hopefully, I don't know if that's too much detail, but hopefully no, that makes that's sense. Perfect. Uh, that's exactly it, uh, Sharat. It, it's it's that it's that wider picture, the broader, deeper picture of of each patient as they walk into your door, being able to make those more informed and thoughtful uh, decisions that I think every physician, I know every physician wants to make. It's just a matter of how do you do it, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, for example, we know that today, if you look at the published literature you know, depending on who you read it, I can tell you what my personal experience was. You know, between 10 to 25% of patients who have a knee replacement in 2018, now coming on 2019, after surgery, are not happy with their results. Mm-hmm. Now, what a tragedy that is in 2018 when we have this amazing you know, technology that can, you know, where Delta Airlines can use an RFID tag on my luggage. And track my bag, you know, what building is the bag in, in Atlanta? Or I mean, it's just an amazing world that we can't do better than 10 to 25% dissatisfaction. That That's, I would argue, that's unacceptable, you know, in the year 2018 when we're all these resources. And so, you know, obviously we can go in a lot of detail, but those are the kind of things we can make better decisions if we understood from a sort of a longitudinal activity tracking standpoint. You know, people who do X activity uh, are, are probably. Even though their x-ray may look bad and they have arthritis by clinical exam, their activity level is so good that they're not going to be happy after surgery, right? Did you see what I mean? Those are the kind of decisions we can make using, you know, and so I think delivering the promise of wearables and, and things of that nature is really going to require us to be thoughtful around, you know, pretty specific use cases like what I'm describing here, where there's actual tangible clinical value tied to a specific, you know, pathology as opposed to more general, just sort of fitness apps and things like that. Right. And again, we can talk more in
0: detail to uh, love what you're interested. Love it. Um, no, I think this is, this is wonderful. And, and, you know, uh, folks, we we're diving into to some of the ideas of, you know, what can we do to optimize that, that UX, that UI for patients and doctors ultimately better care is better business. And we need to be doing more of that, and so I love your examples Sharat and and so every every successful person that that uh, I get the privilege to to chat with also has a good setback story or two. would love if you could uh, share a time when you had a setback and what you learned from it that's made you better.
1: gosh I, we need about a 10 hour interview we, I need to be your
0: <laughs> guest for the next
1: uh, it's been a sort of a series of setbacks with a couple of <laughs> intermittent successes in there that that have been sort of the, you know the Gosh, I, I'm trying to think where to start. I, um, I, 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 let me just think for a moment, if I may, I mean, I'll give you sort of one professional sort of setback and this will maybe resonate with people. I, I'm guessing many of your, I don't know your listener sort of, um, profile, but I'm guessing you have a fair amount of, you know, clinician types and, and others yeah. in, in medical industry, med device yeah. folks who listen. So I'll tell you my story. So when I decided to leave clinical practice, uh, now, you know, Full-time practice now coming on four years. I can't believe it's been four years already. I mean, I was you know I had a pretty busy practice. I was doing pretty well financially. You know, I I I had five sales reps following me around every day. You know, I felt like I was the man. I was king of the hill. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I had a had a long wait list of patients, etc. And you know what? I I left that. You know, probably for better or for worse, uh, crazily sort of walked (laughs) away from that life and uh, decided to go to the consulting firm, McKinsey and Company, and start. Become a, a healthcare consultant, and I thought you know McKinsey is just amazing. You know, again, most of your listeners will probably have heard of McKinsey and Company. You know, kind of one of the elite. And again, by some clerical error, I was able to get a job there, uh, probably <laughs> and, and certainly. But uh, I remember starting the job, and you know, essentially, forget lateral move. I mean, this was a a significant. I mean, I took a. I, you know, your, elite, your listeners will be shocked. I took an eighty percent pay cut. Eighty-five percent pay cut from from yeah, and so you know you can imagine. But not only that, you know I was you know thirty-six years, thirty-seven years old, and I had had a pretty successful career as a clinician. And I go to this consulting firm to learn how to do consulting, and I didn't even really know what that was when I arrived at the firm. And you know here I now have to learn how to use Excel and PowerPoint, and I have a you know a, a boss who's a thirty-year-old graduate. From you know Harvard Business School, yeah. and you know, telling me that my PowerPoint fonts are not correct and that my bullet points on the you know, I was like, Well, you, you know, just two weeks ago I was putting somebody's pelvis back together. Oh you know, gosh. and they were bleeding, you know, the, the blood was getting yeah. the ceiling, and you know, here we but, you know, I'll tell you the set here was a real setback in the sense that in my first six months or so, I had all of been used to being very successful. You know, I was a good student I had good board scores and good you know, SAT scores, right? I had I'd had a lot mm-hmm. of success and I wasn't yeah. used to going into an environment. No, That's what okay. I'm saying is, as a physician, as a physician, we have the benefit of sort of leading by authority and licensure, right? When I'm in an office setting or I'm in an operating room, because I have the white coat and because I have the license, I can basically tell you to jump off a bridge, and you'll say, "Oh, doctor, that sounds great." You know, you people, but yeah. but yeah. I, it was a it was a big setback for me to learn that in business and in consulting, you can't lead that way, even though you may have the most knowledge and you know have spent the most time studying. In business, you know, everybody gets an equal vote. And so it took me a long time to learn, uh, you know. And so my first six months at my McKinsey yeah. were, uh, were, were extremely, you know, discouraging. And I thought, what the hell have I done here? Yeah. And so it just took a real sort of swallowing of pride. and You know, wow. you know surgeons have no shortage of, of big egos. But, you know, it was a really <laughs> great learning experience to learn how to lead by influence and by, you know, by data and, and, and sort of letting people come to conclusions on their own. Rather than by trying to, you know, eat it to them or, or, or you know, or, or instruct them because you have the license and the white coat, hmm. that was a big learning experience, and that's just one of many setbacks I can, you know, I
0: can share with you. Uh, and and but a great learning experience, you know. Sure, and and uh, really appreciate you sharing that. And and I'm I'm sure you could hear the the listeners like, why did he do that? What was he thinking? So maybe you could share. So so why did you do it? What was your motivator for that move? So, you know, I'll
1: tell you, I mean, even to this day, you know, again, I've had a very short business career and I continue to learn every day. It's been amazing. But um, my clinical life, you know, the, whatever, the two to three thousand patients I operated on during my career is always going to be, other than having a son and getting married, and having a family, the most meaningful experience of my life. I mean, I have patients yeah. that I did surgery on nine years ago that still call me and say, hey, Sherat you know, just want to say hello. I mean, it's just amazing, right? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. so I, this has a moral. The reason I walked away from that was because I, at some point I realized that I couldn't scale myself any more than my own individual number of hours in the day times the number of surgeries I could do in an hour. And I, I couldn't really affect greater change in the healthcare system. And so I guess I had, we'll call it arrogance or, 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 or psychosis, whatever you want to call it, to um, to, to think that I, I could make a bigger impact on the healthcare system if I actually left the one-to-one, one-by-one patient care uh, workflow oh, and sort of yeah. hopefully take, I guess I took a bet on the fact that Taking a big clinical body of experience and moving that over into business would allow me to affect a lot more people positively than me individually cranking out you know hip and knee replacements every day. So that was really sort of the motivation and you know the the, the moral the, oh, sorry the end of the story still not known yet, but so far it's been a great journey. Uh, but that hopefully that answers your question. And it does. I certainly still do miss operating, but but you know this has been a great learning experience as well. You know I feel fortunate to have been able to work at some great places and, and get some of these great experiences in business.
0: Sharat, what a great uh, what a great story and thanks for for answering that absolutely you've taken that leap of faith i know that uh with the work the early work you you're doing um you're you're seeing results and your impact will definitely be expanded so kudos to you and and for the listeners thinking about this move hey it's not a bad move. You just have to be, you just have to be patient, vigilant, be willing to work through the downs and truck away. But ultimately, uh, a good inspirational story by Sherrod. Thanks for sharing that, Sherrod. And I mean, I guess you know, as I was hearing you talk, I
1: mean, one last thing I would say is yeah. The you know the business side of healthcare you know if if you follow you know the insurance market and the medical device I mean those companies don't have enough you know and I'll just come clean here enough clinicians who sort of understand the day to day challenges of taking care of patients and so I guess I just make I a plea that the health tech industry and the payer industry and the med device industry is in desperate need of folks who sort of are willing to take this amazing. Uh, body of clinical work that they've done and bring it over, and, and it'll be a hard transition, but I think it'll be worth it because um, the industry needs it. So uh, to develop products that that actually ha- are meaningful and useful, uh, the industry desperately needs it. So, and, and certainly the certainly the, the wearable sort of device industry, you know, you can see that we, you know, we've not really proven the use case yet right the promise of wearables are going to cure cancer and all things that ail humanity we certainly aren't there
0: yet right and so i think having some more clinicians to uh to do that work will help us create better products so there you have it listeners a call to action if you're a clinician looking to get into the business and also if you're a business leader looking to make a bigger impact taking a look at clinicians as collaborators into the projects that you have going on. Uh Sharon, what what about one of your proudest leadership moments you've had in in healthcare? What is it? So let's see again, you know, like I said, it's been a series of failures
1: with a couple of sprinkled successes in there, so I'll try to think of a I mean I think I have to say my proudest moment was probably, you know, on um on October fifteenth of this year, I think it was a Tuesday or Monday, if I remember, mm-hmm. uh, we had the big press release of the you know this this Zimmer Biomet Apple kind of um, collaboration. It was really uh, it was just an amazing thing to be able to sit back and sort of celebrate the success of you know what we created, you know this this sort of clinically meaningful product that actually has has a use case and and you know again if you've read if you read the press release you know we're doing this gigantic clinical study using the app that was built and, and you know it was just a an awesome moment to be able to be part of the team, you know, sort of collaborating two companies with, you know, very different sort of DNA, right. If you think about a consumer electronics company versus a, you know, a traditional med device, you know, it's kind of a divergent personalities and um, absolutely to have been a, be able to be, you know, just a contributor to that effort and, and be a part of that team that, that sort of um, got that, that product built in a pretty short time and built this clinical study that's really designed to show, uh, the, the clinical benefit right in a way that other clinical studies have not done It was pretty awesome you know that was, that was a pretty satisfying um satisfying moment uh, it, it was pretty great
0: that's cool yeah you know you're moving the needle charat in your in your mission you know four years ago you wanted to make a broader impact and uh you're you're definitely moving the needle with that project and so uh, and in many other ways so I, I give you big kudos for that and Starting to see the fruits of your labor come to fruition, what would you say an exciting project or focus you're working on today is
1: so so moving forward uh, you mean in the current you mean currently at, at the moment yeah yeah I mean I, some other things that I have a very, very strong interest in, and this will get a little bit technical, but um, I, I hope you'll you'll find it interesting uh, and the listeners will as well again you know I spent a significant part of my life, sort of learning orthopedics and learning how to put uh, hip and knee replacements in, in people. And you know, for the listeners who you know maybe don't know a lot about that topic, if you sort of think about our, the 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 way we implant, so let's just let me I guess let me give an analogy. I don't know a lot about the auto industry, from what I understand, you know, robotics and sort of you know automation to be able to improve the quality and the speed of delivery of the, um, uh, of the car on the assembly line has come light years since the 1970s and sixties and and eighties, you know, and same thing in, in orthopedics, believe it or not, essentially today in 2018, we still do hip and knee replacements more or less the same way we've done them. And this is, I'm talking about inside in the surgery itself, right? During the operation that we did in 1985. We haven't changed things all that much. It's pretty shocking, right? That's a 33-year yeah. period where we still use sort of, and again, not to get over, t- but we use manual sort of instruments and we sort of eyeball things. And, you know, you could argue that given all the technology we have, that's insane, right? <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, that's, um, so, you know, some of the stuff I'm very passionately working on is... Um, I am interested in sort of using various types of sensors, and and again, I can get as technical as you think the listeners would be interested in uh, of improving uh, our ability. So, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, again, if if any of you've ever watched a hip or knee replacement, the, the way we do a knee replacement, right? You you open the knee up, and you you're essentially doing woodwork, right? You're making yeah. bone cuts and 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 sort of you know cementing on these components. And the way we do it now is uh, we we essentially use eyeball, you know, our eyes, and we sort of open the knee up, look at the size of the of the patient's, you know, the thigh bone and the, and the shin bone, and we use some sort of imagine sort of specialized rulers, right? Essentially, they're like little measuring tapes that we use that are all manual, and we measure, you know, front to back and side to side how big someone's knee is, and we say, okay, that's about a size four. It sounds, I'm, I'm guessing for you and most of the the, li- <laughs> l- the listeners, it sounds massively archaic. And not only that, the other thing that's complex, remember, when we do a knee replacement, we're taking out sort of the bone that, that, was, that, that, uh, was, that we biologically, you know, that, that was sort of um, the, that we were born with and that grew over the years, and we're replacing it with metal and plastic uh, implants. Well, remember, we also have structures inside the knee that are called ligaments, right, that are the, like the ACL that you've probably heard of that many sports uh, athletes have injured, and we have other ligaments inside the knee. Well, believe it or not, in 2018, 2019, we don't really have many great systems that help us sort of digitize what I described to you as sort of a visual function of measuring the, the, you know, the measuring tape, the front to back, side to side dimensions of a knee, nor do we have any kind of electronic sensor that tells us, you know, what the ligaments will, how they will behave. Uh, after the knee replacement. Contrast that with your, you know, your Jeep Cherokee or your latest edition Audi A6 that has a sensor that can tell you when the, 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 the right, if, if you think about that, right, I mean, it's just yeah. amazing yeah. that we have all this technology. So one of my big passions is is, is, imp- is using, uh, you know, sensors, and it, when I can be specific, you know, pressure sensors and electronics and sort of navigation systems that allow us to sort of paint the knee with, a, you know, imagine taking a scanner, like uh, sort of putting the knee on a scanner and getting the size, you know, digitized and then having the exact dimensions of the implant and also being able to tell it in real time similar to the way that a four, uh, four-wheel drive vehicle can go into snow mode versus, you know, dry road and doing that in real time and then putting the implants in based on that. That's some of the stuff that, that we're working on. And then secondarily to tie this back to sort of the, um, the, uh, the, the wearables world, what better way to determine how much better people do after sort of this new way versus the old, you know, carpentry, you know, kind of method than putting an accurate activity tracker like an Apple Watch on somebody and then having two groups, right? You have one group of patients that had the old way of putting it in and one group that has a new way of putting it in. And within 60 days of them walking around and tracking their activity, we can prove whether or not group B that had the new methodology of implantation using the sensors and the, and the, you know, the digitized uh, scanning of the knee versus group A, we can tell immediately that group B is walking, you know, faster, more steps a day. You know, it's very quantitative. And so that's some of the stuff that um, is pretty interesting. Uh, and I think will allow us to sort of you know, go to the next level of, um, of patient satisfaction and patient activity, Uh, after these operations that traditionally people thought well my life is over right i can't i'm going to be uh, i'm going to have a knee replacement i may be pain free but i'll be you know wheelchair i'll be sitting in in the recliner right watching the prices (laughs) right for the rest of my life we hope we can change that to where people can actually go back to doing sports and doing you know doing more activity because the knee is positioned so much better in three dimensions than we could previously do so that's some of the stuff but hopefully that's not too um Geeking out too much, Super but you can tell it's, uh, stuff that stuff that I really find interesting, and, and it's real, right? <laughs> stuff that we're actually building now, and and you know, hopefully soon we'll have uh, deliverables that could, where we can actually implant them that way. So that's been pretty exciting.
0: No, that is, yeah. and and you know that that number that you mentioned earlier in the episode twenty twenty five percent dissatisfaction. Love that you're hyper focused to to changing that and um, and also broadening your impact through your work. So this has been a ton of fun, Sharad. I've I've really really have enjoyed our time together. If you can, I'd love if you could just uh, share a favorite book and then a closing thought, and we could wrap it up. So let's see. Favorite book? I, I do pride myself as
1: being somewhat of an avid reader, so I think. The book that most recently has had a big impact on me. There's a book called An American Sickness that was written. I forgot the physician who wrote it. I'm uh-huh. you know, the listeners can look it up. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a book that talks about all the perverse incentives in And I'm not going to call out, you know, I realize this is a big audience that probably listens to this. I don't want to call out any particular industries or anything, but it just talks about sort of how this American healthcare system, as you know, mm-hmm. we spend upwards of twenty to twenty two percent of our GDP on healthcare and yet our life expectancy is actually declining, not going up yeah. for what we're spending. This book really in a way that I've not seen with other books sort of lays out for you know for folks who want to understand better why is why are our insidious sort of incentives You know, perversely set up to sort of increase costs, but not really deliver, you know, the value that we should. It it lays it out in a way that I think the lay person can understand very well. And so it's just a great read. And again, I I can look up the name of the author, but it's called An American Sickness. It was published in 2016, I think. And uh, just just a great, you know, read um, on the topic of why our costs are so out of control and, you know, what patients can do, what consumers of healthcare can do to improve, you know, uh, because I guess I'm sort of a little cynical. I think the consumer is going to have to be the one that, that, that changes healthcare. I don't, I don't know that any of our current industry uh,
0: players will do it in the way that a consumer maybe could do it. So it's uh, a good, it's a good call out, Sherrod, American sickness folks, take a, take a read of that. Uh, I had a couple other guests recommend uh, bitter pill, which is in the same kind of thought process. So definitely one that uh, I'll add to my list. Sherrod, thank you for that listeners. Go to outcomesrocket.health and look up Sharat, that's S-H-A-R-A-T, Kusuma, K-U-S-U-M-A. And uh, you're going to find it in there. Uh, type, Type it in the search bar, Sharat. You'll find the entire transcript as well as links to the things that we've discussed. Sharat, give us a closing thought and send us home, man. I mean, closing thought, as I will say, is the following. Having
1: had the chance to work at Apple and consumer electronics is just amazing. And just computing in general, how much those products have improved, you know people in healthcare talk a lot of why I'll say whine a lot about margins and declining prices for drugs and implants and things. but if you sort of look at the computer industry as an alternate universe, think of the amount of value they're delivering, the amount of innovation they're delivering, it's essentially a declining cost year after year after year, yet they just continue to be profitable. I would argue that in healthcare, you know we should have more of a view of we need to innovate our way to better more cost-effective solutions and stop whining about margins a bit because you know the airplane industry the computer industry have accomplished some pretty amazing things in terms of you know computing speed and the safety of taking a flight now i would love us in the healthcare industry to have a little more of a uh, kind of a view of of, of not whining about our margins and really innovating our way to to better products for people you know and so that's that's sort of my impassioned uh, message of that
0: Uh, so it's a great message, Sharat, and um, folks. So, let's take these words and turn them into action um, because they're definitely some heartfelt and uh, action-focused thoughts by Dr. Sharat Kutsu- Kusuma. And so, Sharat, just want to say a final thank you for joining us, and uh, really looking forward to staying in touch with you. Awesome, thank you for the. You know, I appreciate
1: the opportunity. Uh, you know, great I commend you for you know having these topics uh, on this podcast. It's great.